It's good to be with you guys. Um, like Paul said, we're starting a series called In My Feelings. If you're new to 710, um, I would love, myself and the leadership team of 710 would love to be able to meet with you at the end of service and just get you connected with the, the community of 710. We, we really take serious the people of God. We take serious the community that, that God has allowed us to serve in. And most importantly, we take Jesus serious but not ourselves, as you can see by that announcement Paul made. Um, <laughs> with that being said, <laughs> we're going to be um, dealing with anger tonight. And uh, throughout this series, we're going to be addressing a number of issues of feelings and emotions. And, and here's, what, here's what we need to know right out the gate. Our emotions or our feelings, they can either rule us or we can rule them. Okay, those are kind of our, our options when it comes to that. Our, our emotions and our feelings are God-given. They're, they're given to us by God, which means that they have been given to us as something good, created as something good for us to use in good ways. Our feelings serve a number of positive ways to help us function in life. They motivate us to make certain decisions. They help us to take certain actions. When, we, when you have someone, you know, at your job that's, that's not having a, a good day, something inside of you prompts you to say a word of encouragement, to throw your arms around them. That is God-given. Proverbs 17, says this, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And Proverbs 16, 24 says this. It says, gracious words or, or kind words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to our bodies. So when we're motivated to speak words of kindness, when, when our emotions moves us towards feelings of trust and happiness, the Bible says it's like medicine for us. It's sweetness to our souls, and it gives our, our, our bodies health. There's, there's a study that was shown and, 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 and done that it takes 37 muscles in the face to make a frown and only 17 to smile. Some of us got Gucci smiles so we can smile less than others. Um, <clears throat> however, we don't have to be a, a Christian or a Bible person to know that our feelings can also be our own worst enemy. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, that the heart is the most deceitful thing above all things. Our feelings sometimes work in opposition towards spiritual formation and towards healthy relationships. So when we're thinking about our families, when we're thinking about our, our jobs working in certain environments, when we're thinking about our friendships, our emotions sometimes, our feelings sometimes get in the way of those things of being healthy and strong. They can be used to make unwise decisions, to endure unnecessary hardships, and drive the ones who love us the most the furthest away. So in these next three weeks, I, I, am, I beg of you, please stick around. We're going to be dealing with some, some very, very practical and real feelings and emotions. But as we get into our, our subject for tonight, I want to... I want to cue up a video um, that's going to intro us into to the sermon. So take a look at the screen.
sense, is it? It couldn't be that you're struggling to grasp the harsh realities of this cruel, unfeeling rat race that you've been unwittingly thrust into, could it? No, no. You're just a weekend warrior. Your cherished days of rest are filled with a sense of absolute vexation boiling in your spleen, an overwhelming urge to spew words like fiddlesticks and... Oh, yes. Make sure you have time for deep, reflective thought about how you didn't get that promotion, or how your ex-girlfriend keeps brazenly posting photos next to Brad. Certainly no reason to feel raged like lifeblood filling your every nerve. A wrathful, violent storm circling your mind. Wait, no, because your landlord is cheating you, and your parents' political persuasions are completely insane. And, and... Well, let's ask Jesus to do just that, <laughs> to help us with this issue of anger. Lord, thank you so much for our time tonight. I pray... Father, that you would, um, in your infinite grace and wisdom, God, by only the way that you can, God, help us to navigate what it means to have godly anger. And Father, I pray very specifically for those who are in attendance tonight, for those who don't know you, to come to know you, for those who do know you, God, that they would lean into this message of anger and, and, and the feeling of, of rage and guilt and being able to give that wholly unto you. So, Father, give me the gift of preaching and teaching in this moment and that your will be done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Webster defines anger as a strong feeling of annoyance or displeasure. And in 2015, there was a study that was done. It was published in this journal called Behavior Sciences and the Law. And researchers found that 9% of Americans, so that's roughly 22 million adults, stated that they have impulsive anger issues. 22 million of y'all got anger issues. Um, the adults identified in this study stated that they lose their temple to the point where they have uncontrollable tantrums, which means that they, they break things, they smash things, and ultimately get into physical fights. And this is what our society knows to be true about anger. Although we may have different variations of anger that's represented in this room tonight, all of us at some level struggle with it. And it leads me to this question of what, what makes us angry? Kind of self-evaluation time. What, what makes you angry? And then if we, if we look at this thing in a communal setting or, or societal, what makes our society so angry? If I uh, could suggest to you, as the brother of Jesus, 
James does in James chapter 4, 1 through 3. He, has, he asks the same question, and he also answers it. He says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you ask not. And you, you ask, but you do not have or you do not receive because you're asking wrongly to spend it on your passions. James here is addressing a Christian community, something like this, and he's precisely describing what causes these quarrels and fights among us. Selfishness. Selfishness is at the root of all of these squabbles. And he uses language like war and murder to, 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 as a shock and awe to get our attention. That this is a very serious issue. When we want something and we can't have it, when our desires are blocked or unmet, there's a war that rages within the, within the inside of us that produces fights and quarrels. <laughs> On the one side of the coin, anger can be a God-like response that reflects the image of God, and, and, and we call it righteous indignation or, or um, holy anger. And we see that in the Gospels when Jesus is in the temple cleansing it out. He's ripping the walls, uh, the, the, the uh, towers off the wall. He's turning over tables because they have turned the house of prayer into a den of robbers. But on the other side of that same coin, anger can be dangerous. It can be a characteristic trait of a ticking time bomb waiting to explode. In this regard, I, I like to compare anger with fire. Fire is a resource for energy that can be used to give light and heat. However, it can also rage out of control and become very destructive. This can be said the same about anger. It provides awareness for us to certain issues it can open our eyes to certain injustices and broken structures within our communities. But just like fire, anger can rage out of control and cause permanent damage if not handled correctly. Before I knew Christ and really started walking with Christ, uh, a lot of my childhood was that, that ticking time bomb kind of kind of situation. And when my parents were, when they, when they uh, got divorced, when I was, I was super, super small, but I was old enough to remember the messiness of it. There were nights when my brother, my older brother, he would take us in his room, and we could still hear the fighting. We could still hear the verbal abuse. We could still hear the physical abuse. It was, it was a mess. And he would take us, he would, he would take his mattress off of his bed, put it on the floor so that me and my little brother could lay with him. And y'all, can I tell you something? Up until my sophomore year or junior year in college, I had my own apartment, had my own space, had my own bed, everything, and I was still lay on the floor. That was just one of those things that, that, that gave me comfort all the way throughout until my young adult age time. So me and my little brother, 
we, we, didn't, we didn't handle the divorce well. Um, we were ticking time bombs. And I, I know this is true about any of you that have brothers or sisters. Like, you can fight with your brother or your sister, but can't nobody else fight with them. Like, you can, y'all can fight like strangers on the street, but can't nobody else hit them. And that's how it was for us. It was like this internal, you know, clock. God bless you, brother. It's this internal clock that was on the inside of us that, that we would, literally, there would be fights that you would thought we were two strangers on the street, didn't know each other, but we, that's how we fought. But when it came to somebody else messing with one of us, <laughs> it just didn't go down. So we had school, and somebody didn't get the memo. And this little, this little white dude named Brian, he didn't get the memo. And, and so I hear that, not, not Brian Atkins, he all right, he all right. Don't look at him, Eddie. Don't look at him. So, so we get to, we, I, I, you know, we kind of, <laughs> I get to the, the, where this squabble is happening, right? And so I grab my brother. I'm like, man, look, this, this ain't even worth it. I, I kind of pull him aside, and Brian says, that's right. Y'all get out of here, you stupid N-word. You know how everything just slows down. I, uh, I, I grab Brian and I politely help him to the ground. And then we exchanged. Well, it wasn't an exchange. I, I was helping him to remember never to say that again. And when, when we kind of came to, and we're in the office, we're in the principal's office, calling our parents, um, I felt worse in that moment in that principal's office, and not because I got called or not because, um, you know, I had to call my mom. I felt worse because nothing got resolved. I was just as mad. I was just as furious, but I, it, it didn't resolve anything. I was, still, I was still the ticking time bomb waiting to go off. Anger does not dissipate, meaning it does not disappear just because it's unleashed. In fact, each time it's unleashed, it's just rehearsal for the next time. And we can see this through the biblical story that anger has become this distorted force of energy that has only grown stronger throughout the course of history. Right after Adam and Eve are dismissed from the garden, their two sons, Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel because of anger. Moses in, in Exodus, he kills a, a, an Egyptian soldier and then tries to bury his body in the sand like nobody's going to see that dude or smell it. Then later on in, in, in Exodus, Moses records the first gangster move in all of history. He, he's, after he's met with uh, God on Mount Sinai, he comes down with the two tablets with the Ten Commandments on them, sees that the children of Israel is worshiping this golden calf, throws the, the tablets at them in, in the golden calf. They, he gets the golden calf, melts down all that gold into dust, puts it in the water, and then makes the children of Israel drink it. And if that ain't a gangster, I don't know what it is. <laughs> These stories, and, and many of them like it, are just to show how deep this issue of anger runs. 
and how problematic it has become. This age-old battle that mankind has been struggling with since the fall is something that we can never get a hold of if we're depending, if we're self-sufficient on our own dependence. That's why we need a robust gospel. We need a strong enough gospel that is able to free us from sinful anger and free us into godly anger. So if God were a man, how would he handle anger? And we're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 3. And I got three takeaways for us from this particular story. And then we'll close. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is uh, he's in the temple with the Pharisees, and, and then an interesting situation arises. It says this in, in verse 1, again, he entered into the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And so he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to turn and do harm or to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he, Jesus, looked at them all with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. In verse 6, the Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against him of how to destroy him. The first observation I want us to take away from this story is that godly anger is not to be suppressed. Despite what many medical journals may say or psychology may, may have, godly anger doesn't get suppressed. Here we see Jesus is angry. He's angry with the Pharisees because of their sinful reaction of their lack of compassion towards this man with this withered hand. He doesn't suppress his anger. In Matthew 12, the same story is, is taking place, and Jesus actually compares a man with a sheep. And, and, he, and, he's, and he's, he's telling these Pharisees, he says, listen, which one of you, if it is a Sunday, if you see your sheep fall into a pit, which one of you would not go down and get the sheep? How much more valuable is this man? And they remain silent. They could not see past their own self-righteousness, and they could not see past their hardened hearts. They understood sacrifice, but not mercy. They understood law, but not grace. And you know, they knew that Jesus could, could heal the man. In verse 2, it says they waited to see if he would heal him. So they, they knew that Jesus could heal this man. Instead, they would much rather see him stay crippled. 
This grieved Jesus. He was uneased with this. He was uneased to the point that the, the author of this particular gospel, Mark, could tangibly see the anger on Jesus' face. And their lack of compassion moved him towards action. Godly anger is not to be suppressed. And this leads us to our next observation, that godly anger moves us towards righteousness. The man with the withered hand was a social outcast in Jewish culture. He wasn't seen as a productive member of society. He was seen as a curse. He was, he was problematic to everyone in, in, in those circles. He was a hindrance. And in James chapter 1, he, he, James shares this again, the brother of Jesus. He, he shares this, that be slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. And we take our cues from Jesus by letting our anger move us towards righteousness. And the righteousness of God in this story resulted in a man having restored, being healed of his withered hand. Godly anger should push us to helping restore what is broken and what is out of order in our communities. So so for a moment, real quick, just stop. And think about ways in your community that you can be used to restore things that are broken within your immediate world. Just just think about certain things. Here, and I'm going to make a a quick shameless plug. Um, We've been doing some service projects, so we we try to do one once a semester. And the last one we did um, was, was feeding... Uh, I don't know how many of the, 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 how much of the food was able to feed um, po- folks, not only locally, but, but, uh, but nationally. Did a food, uh, food drive deal where we, where we were packing up food. But the one before that, we were right here in Chandler, old time Chandler. And there were some, some houses in these neighborhoods that had these elderly people in there who were receiving these Essentially, like, if they don't get their yard straightened up, they were going to get fined. But their elderly couldn't, couldn't, they couldn't help them. They couldn't, they couldn't actually uh, work their, their yard. So they, the community of Chandler, they reached out. And honestly, I was looking for a way for us to be able to serve. And it just worked out for us to be able to go out there. And we was out there for almost three hours. It wasn't that much time. But we were able to restore broken things in the communities that are right here in our backyard. That's what godly anger does. It moves us to make certain actions. That when we see certain things that are out of line or out of whack, it moves us towards the person or the people to help them figure things out. So my pr- here's my prayer for 710. I pray that we would be more zealous and have more passion about, about restoring broken things in our community, that same passion and zeal, I pray that we would have that as much as we do about seeing Avengers Endgame. Uh-oh. Hope I stepped on somebody's foot. Um, godly anger moves us towards righteousness. Now, this brings us to our last and final observation of godly anger is necessary. 
So like I stated earlier, Jesus was angry. The reason he was angry in this story is because the Pharisees had sinned in their hearts and in their actions. They lacked compassion and they had hardened hearts. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4.26, he says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This gives us the authority to be angry, but we must make sure that we're angry about the right things. We read this early, and I think it's, it deserves a second look, but this was James 4. And Harley, you can put this back up on the, on the screen. It's James 4, 1 and 3. It says this, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Godly anger is necessary because in this story, the Pharisees angry are angry at the wrong things. They're angry at Jesus for wanting him to, to perform a, a miracle to, to actually do work on the Sabbath. They're also a little salty because he's confronted them in public, but that's for another time. And, and, and in their hearts, in their hearts, because of their hardness of heart and because of their lack of compassion, it actually led to the, the, uh, the introduction to Jesus' trial, which leads, leads to his death. So this is the first step that we see to them accusing Jesus so that he would be put to death. But, but then we flip it on the other side and we see Jesus' anger. And his anger is at their sin. Okay, that, is the, that is the hallmark of this passage of this story. Jesus is angry with their sin for having lack of compassion. And his anger led to a, a man being restored, his, his hand being made whole, which ultimately it led to his death. But that's not the end of the story because he, he, he is the son of God. And, and, and he actually not only died, but he rose. And here's what the scripture says, that not only did he rise, but now he has all power in his hands. He has victory over sin, Satan, death, the grave. And, and with those same hands, he's reaching out to us. He's calling out to you. Come. He's imploring, come. Those same hands that were nailed to a wooden tree, imploring, would you come? Be free from these worldly ways. So to sum up of how in the world can we practice these godly ways of godly anger, I have five kind of ways to practice godly anger. The first one is... Think before you speak. That's, that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, again, James 1, is, he's telling us to be slow to anger. Take a few moments. It doesn't take any time to say something in the a, in a, in a heat of a moment that will cause a lasting 
hurt, pain, or destruction. Take time, pause for the cause, think before you speak. The second thing you can do is once you've calmed down, express your anger. In, be angry, but do not sin. In Ephesians 4.26, when you have clarity of mind to be able to voice your frustration or your anger, state your concerns in a way that is direct and concise, but it won't roll anyone over or make anyone feel less than. Point number three, don't hold a grudge. For, for the Christians in the house, this, this ain't even, this is not an option. Forgiveness is not an option. We've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. When we were de- dead to our sins, he came, he died, and he forgave us. Who are we not to forgive? And even if you're not a Christian, holding on to negati- negativity, There's no way to live. Point four, use that energy for something positive. We was talking about service projects. Instead of focusing on what made you mad, work on something that that will resolve the issue that is at hand. Don't be a part of the problem. Be a part of the solution. And the last way of practicing godly anger, know when to seek help. This is where Christian community comes in hand. This is where biblical community or community within itself comes in hand. Now, listen, community is not just for ice cream socials and movie nights. Now, I I love ice cream like the next man, probably more than the next man. Um, But that's not all what community is for. The, The Bible mentions the one another's 81 times in the New, in the New Testament. So I, I think they're trying to make a point. These authors are trying to make a point that we were made to be in community. Have individuals in your life to be able to see your blind spots. So as we wrap up here, I, this, here's the biggest takeaway. This is, this is the so what of this message. Here it is. Worldly anger produces destruction. Godly anger moves us towards righteousness. If you don't get anything from the message, then I get that. And and if you know any teenagers, tell them don't have shower parties. Um, The reason we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ here is because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ It's because we've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that we have it together. Every last one of us, especially the leadership of 710, we, we have our struggles with this particular issue of anger. We just know who to give the anger to. And for those who are in the room and believe in the gospel, Romans 12 says this, that vengeance, okay, revenge belongs to God, not us. We don't take any stake at it. It's not ours. 
Therefore, we can be free from the sinful anger that produces slander, arguments, fights, quarrels, war. And we can be freed into moving towards righteousness, the things that are broken in our communities. Godly anger moves us towards righteousness, and it moves us to be quick to repent and eager to honor one another. But for those in here who would say that you're, you're not a practicing Christian, that you don't believe, or you, you know, you're just, you're here because a friend invited you, first of all, welcome. So glad you're here. You don't have to believe to belong. We love you for who you are. But, but can I make this plea with you? Make Jesus your, your choice. Let him in. You may think you have a handle on anger. You have your ways, woosah, you know, yoga. You may have your ways, but, but here's the only thing you have a handle on. You have a handle on eternal separation from him. Make him your choice. But for those in here who are believing in the gospel, believing the words of Christ, when it comes to anger, the only anger that should be manifesting itself is godly anger that produces righteousness. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have the band come up and lead us in worship. Father, thank you so much for your incredible love for us. Paul prays this prayer a lot. There's a million ways and reasons and, and things I can think of of why you shouldn't use us. But there's only one reason that I, I can think of why you would. It's only through your son, Jesus. And for those in the room tonight that are still on the fence about faith and Christianity and God, I pray that you would, in your infinite grace and wisdom, would you touch their hearts, make them alive in you. And for our brothers and sisters in the faith, and for those in here who do struggle with this, God, I pray that you would be their compass, you would be their guide into how godly anger is to be manifested in their regular rhythms of life. Father, would you take pleasure out of what you see and hear in your children? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.